You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. But what about those small business masterminds who succeed at making their money work harder? They do that by having a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, which now earns 5% annual percentage yield. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. This is Bloomberg Business of Sports. Talk about some of the more interesting aspects of business of sports. There's all kinds of cool questions, so this is a fun topic for me. The country is finally getting the memo about how amazing this sport is. I think the sky's the limit for MLS. We're spending more and more of our time in a digital world, and it's also becoming a really powerful place for commerce. It is so nice to be back and to be able to have fans back in the building. So despite the chaotic schedule, this is why we do what we do. When you get into the playoffs, there's nothing better as a player and excitement and it's also for the organization and sponsors involved bloomberg business of sports from bloomberg radio this is the bloomberg business of sports show where we explore the big money issues in the world of sports i'm michael barr i'm scarlett foo and i'm mike lynch coming up today she is the goat of women's tennis we hear from serena williams on her venture capital fund aimed at backing the next generation of champion entrepreneurs. I know what it takes to be the best at something in the world, so I'm bringing that to the table, and not many people have that. Work like a girl. We'll have the details on that, on the success of the Barstool Difference Fund and their new focus on supporting female-owned businesses with CEO Erica Nardini. I'm a female executive in a male-dominated industry, and I want to see other female business owners be able to have their business thrive. That is straight ahead on the Bloomberg Business of Sports show. But first, let's look at some of the top stories of the week. And let's start. This one is near and dear to my heart. And uh, it involves the USGA. They're saying that Oakland Hills, that's in Michigan, uh, will have a pair of U.S. Open championships. Now, I say this is really important to me because it was only several weeks ago that a huge fire destroyed the country club. And, I, I mean, it, I, I couldn't believe it when I'm looking at it on Twitter. I'm like, you've got to be kidding. And, I mean, this everything went up in flames. Uh, they were able to save some artifacts in there because it, it had been there for many years. But, Scarlett, uh, I'm so glad that uh, Oakland Hills got this and uh, they can rebuild and move on. Moving on really pays homage to the fact that uh, the club has hosted 11 USGA championships starting with the 1924 U.S. Open. Have you golfed there before, Barr? I, I, I'm not much of a golfer, but uh, I went there a couple of times. My buddy uh, is a huge golfer. And so, and I went with him one time, and I had lunch at that country club. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, then he went on the golf. And but yeah, I mean, it it, it was just a beautiful facility, and I, I modeled Lindsay, after the Mount Vernon Estate, yes, George Washington's Mount Vernon exactly, Estate. Exactly, yeah. exactly. I, I, I just Lynchy, I, I I couldn't believe it. I, my tears were in my eyes. And it's dripping with history. They've hosted six U.S. Opens, a PGA Championship, and the 2004 Ryder Cup. Uh, I'm told that the decision to award the U.S. Open in 2034 and 51 came before the fire. Mm -hmm. But uh, this is sort of a rallying cry. And uh, Chris Illich, who's a member there, had a focus group and told everyone to rally and pretty much embrace it the way the city of Detroit embraced the uh, Fox Theater Mm -hmm. and how it's thriving now. And and I think that was a great analogy. So I think it's uh, a big uplift and a big uh, emotional boost uh, and a financial boost as well for uh, the greater D- Detroit area. Yeah, it gives everyone uh, something to work towards, especially as they rebuild. Oakland Hills, good for you. Uh, this past week, 
Senator Bernie Sanders introduced the Save American Baseball Act, targeting MLB's antitrust exemption. If passed, Major League Baseball wouldn't have as much free reign to conduct business as it sees fit, particularly in the minor leagues. Senator Sanders appeared on HBO's Real Sports with Bryant Gumbel. It would mean that competition would arise. It would mean that other people would have the opportunity to uh, start uh, different major league baseball leagues. You know, we're in the middle of a pandemic and corporations are making huge profits. CEOs get huge compensation packages. And it's the same exact thing with baseball. These billionaires making all kinds of money and yet they could care less about ordinary people. And by the way, one of the concerns that I have personally is that if you're a working class family, you know, husband, wife, two kids, and you want to go to a major league baseball, it's almost completely unaffordable right now. Bernie, you could also throw in that stupid ghost runner rule, but I'm not going to bring that up again. Uh, Are still worked up over that. <laughs> You're bugging me, man. You're bugging me. Uh, removing MLB's antitrust exemption could bring the league in line with other leagues like the NFL. And Sanders called upon the owner-imposed 99-day lockout in an attempt to break the union and took umbrage with MLB's decision to drop 40 minor league affiliates before the 2021 season. And Scarlett, that's something that I, I really do am bothered with because minor leaguers, they're scrapping for what they can get. Absolutely. And this is something that uh, Lynchy has brought up several times. And, and we've talked with several of our, of our guests about this, that uh, the minor leaguers and what happens there, the farm system is kind of the forgotten part of the, the ecosystem here that a lot of the players were, were fighting for because so many of them started off there. Even if they were to even if Congress were to move forward with this bill that Senator Sanders has put forth, would it make baseball games, attending a baseball game, more affordable? It's not like attending an NFL game is affordable. No, and there's not going to be a, uh, an upstart league that's going to come in and challenge Major League Baseball. It's just not going to happen. Um, you know, this is one of those, with all due respect, frivolous, you know, it, it, Grandstanding it, moments? Yes, yeah. You know, like Arlen Specter uh, wanted to uh, investigate the, uh, the the National Football League over Spygate with the Patriots in, in 2007. Um, you know, with all due respect, there are more important things to be dealt with in Congress than, you know, an antitrust uh, exemption for the Major League Baseball, which is, and he's doing it because it's coming up on its 100th anniversary mm -hmm. of the uh, antitrust legislation. Well, my question, and it's a question that they ask on the show, so I'm going to ask you to hear also, what might happen if the MLB's antitrust exemption goes away? Good question. I don't think another leak will pop up all of a sudden. No. no. Uh, certainly not in the U.S. Yeah. Uh, it's, I just Maybe you I, don't call it the World Series anymore. You call it the MLB Series? It, I, mean, I mean, this isn't like having you know Arby's and McDonald's and Burger King on the same corner at uh, at every town USA. This is Major League Baseball. This is a you know a nine-headed monster. It's not going away. There's no competition that's going to ever come up and challenge it. Uh, unlike some other leagues, which have had you know the the uh, the, uh, the ABA in basketball, the World Hockey League in hockey, mm -hmm. uh, the USFL or the old AFL in the '60s with the NFL, but it's just not going to happen with Major League Baseball. Let's talk about the USFL. It yes. is coming back. This is how old I am. <laughs> I was a guy who is an intern holding a parabolic mic in the old USFL, and and I never will forget it. This is a sweep coming at me. It sounded like a <laughs> herd of horses coming at me, and and the engineer in my headsets is saying, whatever you do, don't wreck the mic. I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> take one for the t take yeah. one for the network. Take right? one for the network, man. But you know, the new USFL is coming back and there's some rule changes. They have added uh, uh Scar uh three point conversions, uh which is among some of the rule twists. Yeah, it feels gimmicky. I mean does will this change anything? Does anyone Will anyone watch the USFL because of three-point conversions, best of three overtime, um, an option to retain possession after scoring? I, I don't quite understand what the purpose of this is. If you bet it, they will come. Yes. And we have the, this nation has an insatiable appetite for football. We, people sit around and watch the combine. NFL, though. Yeah, but, you know, this is you – know, it, you have to be a little bit gimmicky to grab some attention. So you have a one-point conversion with the kick. You have the two-point conversion. And now if you want to go for three points, 
you can you try from the ten yard line. I, I think it's 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 pretty good. It's interesting. I mean, I will tune in and and give it a, a little sample. I remember the old USFL back in the nineteen eighties, um, and you know it was kind of interesting. They lured, lured players like uh, Doug, Doug Flutie, Flutie. Yeah, yep. Herschel Walker, uh, Donald Trump owned the New Jersey Generals. And there were some Jim Kelly played in the the Buffalo Bills, great quarterback, played for the Houston Gamblers. Mm-hmm. So I, I think it'll be interesting, and I think it's a nice little segue to get from, uh, you know, April into early summer, and then we start worrying about training camp and turn our attention back to the National Football League. But uh, this is something we're going to talk about a little bit more. They have some interesting ideas what they're going to do with their first two years, and uh, the kickoff is on April 16th. And um, I think we should, you know, they'll dedicate a, a good chat portion of one of these shows to the USFL coming up. Who's got broadcast rights to the USFL? Uh, NBC, so I believe it's on Peacock. Both NBC and Fox apparently have multi-year yes. rights right. deals. Yep. Hmm. By the way, uh, another rule: uh, the clock will stop yes. for first downs inside two minutes of the second and fourth quarters. Uh, also, that uh, if a pass does not cross the line of scrimmage, there can be no pass interference or ineligible player downfield penalties. This is going to be interesting. I want to see how this works out. Cause... Would there ever be an NFL player who would play in the NFL and the USFL during the offseason? I don't know if you could because not right. because it's not, I don't think it's against the rules. I think it's because you take so much punishment in the regular season. Yeah, you need to recover. The, the body has to recover. And, I mean, yeah. I was just thinking with these rule changes, you'd have to keep in mind, you know, which league am I playing in and <laughs> <laughs> which right. rules in effect? Right. Uh, and kick off from the 25-yard line. Right, instead right. Of the, you know, so, I mean, it's like it's, it's, you have to be gimmicky. When the, when the American Football League came in, challenging the National Football League, they had their names on the back of their jerseys. Well, the NFL never did that mm-hmm. because they, did, they thought that the, the team was more important than the individual. You're all replaceable. Yes, then they allowed the, the fans to keep the football that they kicked into the stands. There were no nets for the extra points, and that had some Donnybrook brawls, trust me. And, <laughs> <laughs> I remember and they, were, they were a lot of fun. I mean, I lived through it here in the 1960s with the, with the Boston Patriots. So you have to be gimmicky to get some attention. The ABA with Dr. J was playing for the New Jersey Nets. They had a three-point shot. The NBA didn't have it. And they had the multicolored basketball. It almost looked like a beach ball. Like a Harlem Globetrotters ball. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. And uh, so you have to be that way to get to get some attention and bring in the peripheral sports fan as well. Maybe MLB needs something like this, and they can do all their experiments and see what sticks and what actually gets the fans excited, and they can then bring it into the MLB. That's a great idea, because they can take this doggone ghost runner and try it in this new league. <laughs> dun, 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 dun. Yeah, let them Who do it there. call? <laughs> Ghostbuster. I should have known that. I was setting you up for that. Oh, yeah. See the nostrils flaring? At, uh, uh, finally, New York City Mayor Eric Adams. Uh, he has announced that he's exempting athletes and performers from the city vaccine mandate for private workers. That is big for Kyrie Irving because now he can play home games with the Brooklyn Nets, Scar. He comes out ahead because he, he stuck firm. He was not going to get vaccinated, and he wasn't able to play for home games. He was able to participate in away games, and now he can do everything he wants. Well, he did lose some money for the home game. He knew that. He, yeah, knew, he, he knew that going yeah. in. And it, it did cost his team. Um, they are right now, they, they're going to make the playoffs, but they're, they're probably going to be a 6th, 7th, or 8th seed right now. So, you know, home, home court advantage is just so big. Let me see what the home record of the Brooklyn Nets is. It's uh, 18 and nine, uh, 16 and 19. Mm, okay. 16 and 19. And he makes a big difference, Kyrie. Uh, and I should add also, it also makes a difference because now unvaccinated baseball players can take the field when their official season begins. It's a good point. Outdoor outdoor games, though, versus indoor games. You think uh, Kyrie Irving's going to be booed or cheered when he cheered. plays at home? Oh, cheered. cheered. Absolutely For cheered. For sure? Yeah, yeah he, just, he took a stance, and I think a lot of people are with him, and he didn't cave, and uh, he was true to his word and true to his conviction. But he cost but, his team the home court advantage. Yeah, but you know what? Uh, all you have to do is get into the tournament, as uh, someone once said, and then anything can happen. 
Up next on the show, we speak with Barstool Sports CEO Erica Nardini. That's straight ahead on Bloomberg Business of Sports. I'm Michael Barr. You can follow me on Twitter at Big Bar Sports. I'm on Twitter at Scarlet Foo. And I'm Mike Lynch. You can follow me at Lynchy WCPB. And don't forget to catch our podcast. That's Mondays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays on all your podcast platforms. And right here on Bloomberg Business of Sports from Bloomberg Radio. Hi, I'm Ron Kraszewski, Chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial Advisors, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing, entrepreneurial, advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. Imagine having the resources of the largest wirehouses and the support of the boutique shops, but none of the bureaucracy to get in the way of you serving your clients. At Stiefel, it's your business, your book, your clients. I always tell the advisors we're recruiting, I want you to come to Stiefel and double or triple your business. Most of them laugh and shake their heads, but I'm serious. Don't take it from me. Take it from Stiefel's number one finish in J.D. Power's 2023 U.S. Financial Advisor Satisfaction Study. So there's a reason why 148 financial advisors joined Stiefel last year. Come join us and find out why Stiefel is the firm where success meets success. Visit www.choosestifel.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. Athletes, actors, artists. But what about the people behind the scenes? You know, the ones who make it all happen. The lighting engineers, the sideline photographers, the caterers. They're small business masterminds. And if there's one thing they have in common, it's making their money work harder. That's why they have a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where they are now earning a generous 5% annual percentage yield. Yes, 5% APY. Making your money work as hard as you do, that's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. This is the Bloomberg Business of Sports show, where we explore the big money issues in the world of sports. I'm Michael Barr. I'm Scarlett Fu. Mike Lynch is stepping aside for this next conversation, but he'll be back later on in the show. You know we love him. We're joined now by Barstool Sports Chief Executive Officer Erica Nardini. Erica took over as CEO in 2016, overseeing an incredible increase in overall revenue during her tenure. We're going to say, oh, let's call it 3,900%. And was instrumental. Four digits. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's a four. And, and instrumental in the company's partnership with casino operator Penn National Gaming. Erica, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I should always have you introduce me. <laughs> <laughs> I always like to start with this question. And it's always because I, I always think of my mom. I, I want to talk and start off, first of all, with the bar stool difference. The evolution of the mm-hmm. bar stool fund. Work like a girl campaign. I love that. You got to tell me about that. That's awesome. Yeah. So um, the barstool difference is what people used to say, what our fans used to say when we would royally screw something up. So when the technology wouldn't work in a live stream or the sound didn't work in a production or somebody at, at barstool did something stupid, uh, what the chant would be on Twitter was something to the effect of, the barstool difference, right? It was just the way barstool did things. Um, And so we've kind of adopted that name because I think that's exactly right. Barstool does things in its own way, in its own style. Uh, We're not particularly corporate. We're not particularly conservative. We just kind of see, see where the internet takes us and to make things happen from there. So You know, in 2020, in December of 2020, Dave Portnoy, the founder, put out a tweet um, because we were seeing what was happening to restaurants and small businesses during the pandemic. And we were especially seeing how creative small business owners were in trying to make things work in 
ever-changing regulations and a huge amount of uncertainty and especially financial insecurity. And so we raised in the course of, you know, three and a half, four months, we raised $41 million from over 200,000 people across the country. It was amazing. Um, we, we distributed those funds as quickly as we could humanly possibly do it. Uh, and we also showcased the stories of small business owners, which was really inspiring and really impactful and, and motivated us, I think, in an incredible way. Mm-hmm. And, and we really felt that take hold across the country. And so what we're doing now is really reinvigorating what we're doing, not just in terms of raising money to help small businesses, uh, but in my case, I'm, you know, I'm a female executive in a male-dominated industry. I spend most of my time with men. And I want to see other female business owners and other female business executives be able to have their business thrive. Um, women, women-run businesses were disproportionately affected during the pandemic. Mm-hmm. And so what we're doing with the Barstool Difference is really focusing on women-owned, women-run businesses, helping them out using the bar using the Barstool Fund to be able to connect with people and give them the the help that they need to have their business thrive. So I'm glad that you explained that this um, happened when uh, sparked by Dave Portnoy taking this on back in December of 2020, because skeptics out there, like journalists, people who are trying to make a name for themselves on social media, might say that Barstool is doing this because it's trying to uh, distract from negative headlines of Portnoy's alleged sexual misconduct and a culture of alleged bullying and misogyny, those reports. But this is something that Barstool has been working on from far before all of this. I'm curious to hear from you, Erica, Overall, because the Portnoy controversy is certainly something that businesses are, are thinking about, and um, it's an issue for the, the current uh, acquisition by Penn as well. Um, how has the Portnoy controversy affected Barstool's business overall, for better or for worse? I mean, there may not be any clear cause and effect, but what kinds of correlations have you seen? You know, so what I would say is, you know, as as far as it relates to social good and, and charitable efforts, Barstool has been helping people since Barstool was started in, in 2004. So doing things to help others, whether it's firefighters, whether it's victims of the Barstool Mar- uh, the, the Boston Marathon bombing, the Barstool Fund, uh, we've done a lot to help a lot of different people, a lot of different organizations, and most recently, a lot of different businesses. So this is something that is a part of our DNA and always has been part of Barstool's DNA. As it relates to, you know, being controversial and the controversy, you know, look, Barstool is a company that has a huge target on its back. Uh, why do we have a target on our back? We don't play by everybody else's rules. We don't believe that the way traditional media has been packaged, produced, run, monetized, distributed, we don't, we don't believe in that. We're, we're charting our own path. And as a result, as you know, every year has gone by, you talked about the revenue growth in you know, 3,000%, we've become more formidable. And that makes Barstool a bigger and bigger target. Um, Dave himself, as you know, one of the most influential people on the internet, has also become a bigger and bigger target. Uh, he is right now suing Business Insider for defamation. Uh, I think that that case will be very interesting to see how that plays out. But you know, one of the things that that I would say as it relates to quote unquote controversy is, I think most everything right now is controversial. When you go look at You know, any community, you look at any fan base, you look at any sector that has a lot of heat to it, there's a huge amount of controversy. American politics fraught with controversy. Business fraught with controversy. The Internet is like the originator of of controversy, uh, at least as it plays out now on Twitter and other mediums. So, you know, I I, I would say we're pretty used to it. Um, and certainly as we've gotten bigger, we understand that there are more eyes on Barstool. There's more scrutiny. Um, and then there will be, you know, varying perceptions. There are people who are who love us. There's people who hate us. There's people who like certain personalities or aspects of our business and disdain others. And, you know, as the CEO, I'm comfortable with that. 
I want to go back to the work like a girl campaign for a moment because it makes me think I got to tell a very short but quick story and hopefully you understand my mom was in World War II she was in the Women's Army Corps and they've seen the stories That's that have awesome. come out yeah I I, I I, as as a son, it's like, okay, mom, is like, and then you hear all <laughs> these stories and like, oh my God. And, you know, I didn't stand the chance of stepping on the line because my dad was in World War II and all this stuff. So when, <laughs> I think I told the story before, but I got to tell it again. You'll understand where I'm going with this. Back in the day when they used to bring home paper checks, I had to be like about four years old. And... You know, and so they're coming in and, you know, we're all talking about, you know, I knew it was payday. And I said, I remember this clearly at four. So, mom, you make less than dad because you're a woman, right? And my mom, God bless her, she said, oh, hell no. I got to sit you down here right quick and and talk about the real deal here. And I was going to turn to my dad. And you ever seen the the cartoon, the uh, the, the coyote, where you see the, the big zip and then the cloud, and he's out the room right smoke, there. Yep. Oh, finally, coyote. Yeah, exactly. It was. I bring all of this up because people like in my mom's category, like in your category, made it to CEO, and you are carrying the torch to move along for other women to be CEOs as well. That's why I like the Work Like a Girl campaign. That's awesome. I appreciate that. Shout out to your mom. Um, yeah, look, I think, you know, you. I want to see more women in business. I want to see the most women possible succeed in their careers. It's, it's hard, you know, it's hard. Life is hard for everybody or most everybody. And making it to find your dream and to have that dream and to keep working on it and getting better at it every day is, is, it's no small feat. It takes stamina. It takes grit. You know, everybody has their own stuff they need to overcome. And, you know, what I get so inspired by is you look at women who've made it and you hear about how much they had to take on in their personal lives, things they had to combat in their professional lives. It just gives you so much admiration and I think it's so inspiring to to really believe that for the women who are going to come after me and then the women who are going to come after them that there's only going to be more possibilities there's only going to be further frontiers that that women can go conquer and you know I think I'm a good example of that Mm -hmm. when you know when I came to Barstool they the, the investor behind Barstool was looking for a CEO and they had a bunch of you know, white guys with MBAs, and that's who the that's that's the profile of the person who was going to come to Barstool. And I didn't fit that profile. I don't have an MBA. Feels better to be but number one I than number five. I wear a number because I'm like, we have a chance to go for three in a row. Good numbers at the time. When I first started wearing that number, I was just happy and proud. Bloomberg Business of Sports, the number of the week. And you know, Dave Portnoy and Peter Chernin gave me a chance, and you know, here here we are today. And I I'm just hopeful that more women can stand and have a chance, and there's mm-hmm. more men and more people who give it to them. Amen. And as CEO under your tenure, we've actually I remember talking to you uh, in the past, and and you're surprising me with uh, numbers on the breakdown of your audience and how it's it's a lot more female oriented than you might expect. Um, tell us about that and tell us overall about how the audience has evolved since you became CEO. Sure. I mean, I think Barstool's a lot more than, than people expect. You know, like I, I generally end up having this type of conversation always, which is like, hey, great business results. Tell me what Dave's done. Dave seems to be in trouble again. What's going on with Dave? And then when you peel back the onion on our business, it's actually, and I'm super biased, it's really fascinating. We are one of the fastest, if not the fastest growing brand on the internet. We have 65 brands that we own and operate inside of Barstool. We have the top sports podcast brand. We have the top hockey brand. We have a top golf brand. We have a top, you know, three top entertainment brands. So, What's interesting about our audience is, you know, when I got to Barstool, it was a regional blog. 
Uh, it was in New York. It was in Philly. It was in Boston, obviously, which is where Dave started Barstool. Right. It was in Iowa, and that was about it. And it was a predominantly, you know, northeastern male audience. And now, you know, we reach over 150 million people every month on every platform out there, and our audience is in large part female. Some of our shows are 80% female. Some shows are 50% female. Um, but we reach a very big audience, and we have fans that come from all different types of places, all different types of backgrounds, all different types of genders, all different types of races. So there's something that is, let me just say this near and dear to my heart, uh, let's just talk about online gambling. And uh, I, I, it's available uh, for you guys in 12 of the 18 states where online yep. sports betting is legal. Uh, the me- disclaimer, folks, if you're going to bet, bet responsibly. Having said that, I got right. my $20 in my fist, and I'm ready to go gamble on Barstool Sportsbook. Did you ever think that this would grow to this much when it comes to online sports betting? I'm excited about online sports betting. When PASPA was repealed, you know, Dave Portnoy and I looked at one another and said, this is it for this company. Like, this is our path. And, you know, what what we knew, because Dave and, you know, Dan Katz and a lot of our characters and personalities are big gamblers, uh, we knew that content around betting is can be electric, right? It can be funny. It can be uh, rowdy. It's all about who's winning and who's losing and the stake you have in a game and sweating out the conclusion. It really embodies, I think, a lot of the best of, of sports, right? You don't know what's going to happen. You're, you're emotionally invested. You may be financially invested a little bit. I totally agree. You should gamble responsibly. Um, and then there's a whole bunch of conversation and, and ribbing that can come around that. So, you know, when I think about sports and I think about younger audiences, especially, you know, in their twenties and thirties, um, the shorter attention span, people want to be motivated by something. This is the Robin hood generation where you can swipe up an app and buy a stock, right? So why couldn't you do the same thing to put a stake in the game in terms of what's going to happen in your favorite sport or with your favorite team or in whatever matchup is happening uh, whatever matchup is happening at any given day or date or time. So we're fired up about sports betting. I think it can be huge. I actually think it can be huge beyond sports, and and that's the bet we're making with Penn National. Um, I was talking to our reporters here at Bloomberg, and, and they point out that Barstool Sports Betting is currently battling for fourth place nationally with Caesars and is far behind the market leaders like FanDuel and DraftKings. What's your path to profitability uh, with your current sliver of market share. Yeah, I mean, when you look at FanDuel and DraftKings, uh, both of whom are companies we've worked with pretty substantially, we helped grow both of those when they were in the daily fantasy business. Um, They're spending, you know, a gazillion dollars on advertising, right? Traditionally above the line advertising. So they're buying television. You cannot drive around in a state with legal sports betting and not see 500 billboards. Yeah that really generally look the same and have the same type of offer and the same type of clip art of some athlete, you're going to see that everywhere. That's not our strategy, right? So FanDuel and DraftKings, super smart companies, very big databases, strong technology backgrounds. They are duking it out for the number one, number two spot. Our approach is to make betting cultural, to make betting conversational, and to market our sports book alongside a whole bunch of other products and services and content that we create and to do so profitably. So when you look at the end of a quarter, when you look at all of the results from whether it's Penn National or DraftKings or FanDuel, and you look at how much people are spending on growing share or maintaining share and attracting audience, their numbers are huge. Our number is very small. Because what we're doing is making content that's compelling, uh, featuring and showcasing personalities who people relate to. And we're making betting a a fluid part of of what we're doing every day. Like a holistic part. A holistic part, right? And so that approach 
will be more profitable, right? Just by nature of how we think about spending money, we don't use paid placements. We're using content, right? We're using social conversation. We're using the brand equity all of our personalities have built Mm -hmm. to make betting just, you know, same as you laugh at a podcast or same as you watch a live stream of our gang talking about sports. Now you do so and you bet with us. Barstool CEO Erica Nardini, you are so kind, and we I, we got to ask one more question. I do. I, I'm sorry. I, I'm curious about this, given what we've seen with the um, Major League Baseball coming to terms with the players' union and all this talk about Apple TV uh, now broadcasting some MLB. You're exploring jumping into acquiring live sports, right? If if I've got that correctly, I, I want to hear more about that because this is a super expensive proposition, especially if you're talking the big four, uh, the NFL, the NBA, the MLB, NHL. Are you going for those leagues or are there specific sports that are a more natural fit with, with your focus, with your audience? Yeah. I mean, we, you know, six years ago, I would never have dreamed that we would have a shot at live rights, right? Live sports rights. Mm-hmm. Uh, live sports rights are the single most compelling asset in content asset in the market right now. Nothing beats live sports on television in particular. Um, you know, we do our own live events, right? We have a brand called Rough and Rowdy. We have an amateur boxing pay-per-view business. That's content that we own the rights to. We, we're also obviously very familiar with growing brands and developing personalities. We have the rights to the Arizona Bowl. So the Arizona Bowl is a college um, is, a, is a college football bowl game that's between the Mountain West and MAC divisions that happens on New Year's Eve or right around New Year's Eve every year. We will broadcast that game in addition to being the title sponsor of that game. Um, and then we're also looking to find, you know, if, whether it's other sports or other avenues to showcase live sports and to, to build the commentary and the color around that that we think our fans will like. I don't think you will see us be, you know, alongside NBC Mm. or hockey rights or, you know, football rights, whatnot. Erica Nardini, Barstool Sports CEO, thank you for joining us. Success is more than the final destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's discipline. It's teamwork. And it's the drive and passion inside of us that comes before all recognition. It's what Stiefel's been doing for over 130 years. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel has become one of the fastest-growing wealth management and investment banking firms in the country. Our financial advisors go beyond traditional wealth management to provide clients with direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises and a leading middle market investment bank. Because success is the drive it takes to keep climbing, the passion to keep investing, the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Start your journey at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. Athletes, actors, artists. But what about the people behind the scenes? You know, the ones who make it all happen. The lighting engineers, the sideline photographers, the caterers. They're small business masterminds. And if there's one thing they have in common, it's making their money work harder. That's why they have a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where they are now earning a generous 5% annual percentage yield. Yes, 5% APY. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.
Let's turn to the world of venture capital, Serena Ventures, that is. Bloomberg's Emily Chang caught up with the women's tennis champion, Serena Williams, earlier this week to discuss the new $111 million fund focusing on overlooked founders. Let's listen to some of that conversation. Serena, you have been investing in early stage companies for nine years now, but this new fund takes it to the next level. You say you want to invest in the next generation of champions. Who and where do you think those champions are? Um, yeah, so I have been investing for nine years now, and then I've been actually working on this particular chapter of my life for the past um, four years um, and just really building my track record here. So um, I feel like us at Serena Ventures, we don't really we don't check just one box. We really are looking forward to well, well, health and wellness. Fintech as well as fintech. Obviously, we're, the crypto space and the Web3 space and NFTs are something that is on everyone's mind. And um, I don't think you can really have a VC firm and not have some really big part of that into into uh, big part of your fund into that part of the Web3 space. So um, we're kind of like looking in those particular areas. Now, you've been the greatest of all time in tennis for so long, but in venture capital, you've kind of been in stealth mode or under the radar. Yeah. And a lot, of, yeah. a lot of celebrities and athletes don't necessarily get taken seriously here unless they're investing directly yes. in their craft. Is there something motivating or energizing about trying to prove yourself at something new? Yes. And honestly, that's one of the reasons I have been investing so long and I have been in stealth mode for so long because I feel like, you know, whether it's entertainer or it's an athlete, when we try to do something different, it's seen as uh, more of an opportunity as instead of a passion. This is actually a passion of mine. I wake up every morning thinking, oh my gosh, I cannot wait to open my computer and look at decks or just talk to the company or just see how, what we're going to do today. Um, And it's something that is, I'm super passionate about. And I just genuinely have so much fun with it. Um, but yeah, that's also another reason why I was operating in stealth. I really wanted to build my portfolio. I wanted to build my track record. So when people had questions, I would say, you know, we can just go to our track record or go to our data room and kind of see what we've done in the past. And it gives you a glimpse of when we do have um, bigger fund and being able to write those big checks, what we'll actually do in the future. Now, Serena, In sports, you know immediately if you win or lose. In venture, it takes years of, you know, some of them money-losing investments. How do you think about that feedback loop, the fact that this is years over time? Money winning investments. We really um, try to have ourselves do the best and have our most calculated risk, right? I mean, that's the best thing that you can do at Ventures, just try to kind of just do as much research, do as much due diligence as possible to um, to make sure that our risks are less. So that's kind of what we focus on. And, you know, I was actually having this conversation last night. It's um, it, some you, you, you invest in the fund and you have to wait five years sometimes to see the turnaround. It's so interesting sometimes in this other space, um, companies in, in Web3 and crypto and the NFT, NFT space, some of these companies are taking turnarounds in one or two years. And this is really unprecedented. It's something that we as VCs haven't really seen and it's new and everyone's excited about it. But typically you really have to wait a few years before you see that return. And patience is the key here. You know, you have to go for the long, the long haul really. You said yourself, Serena, you don't like to lose. What do you take from the court to investing? So that's a good question. You know, it's really about having a winning attitude and really just about um, understanding that you have to put a lot of time into this, you know, and you have to put a lot of effort into learning. And for me, I'm the kind of person that I like to really do my homework and really do my due diligence and really just kind of figure out exactly how so I can be the best at it, because you know, I know what that takes. I know what it takes to be the best at something in the world. So I'm bringing that to the table and not many people have that, but at the same time, understand that the hard work and the dedication, and then also that champion's mentality of like, I like winning. So if you do, what does it take to win? And it's really just figuring that out and applying it into this this part of of my life. Serena, the New York Times ran a story about your fund and mistakenly printed a photo of your sister instead of you. You tweeted about this saying, no matter how far we come, we get reminded that it's not enough. This is why I raised $111 million for Serena Ventures to support the founders who are overlooked by ingrained systems 
woefully unaware of their biases because even I am overlooked. How did you process that mistake? Um, honestly, I, I've been through a lot in my career and in my life, and I don't let one thing tick me off too much. For me, I process, process it as an opportunity to use it, to let other people know that you're not the only one being overlooked and let people know, this is why I'm raising Serena Ventures. You know, this is why I want to make an impact because we can, we need people like me and people like Allison and like our team at Serena Ventures to be writing the big checks, to change that narrative. So we don't have to be overlooked and just, just thought on and just, you know, just say, okay, let me just write, right. Let me just post this as as fast as I can. I'm not even going to think about it because it doesn't really matter to me. And so it's really about changing that narrative. And it's, um, I think that's so important because if you have a platform to talk about and to discuss it, then it needs to be discussed. And, um, yeah, I think it's important for other women and other people of color to see that you're not the only one struggling. I mean, I've been number one for, I don't know, eons (laughs) eons <laughs> and um <laughs> i've won more grand slams than i could even find and um the fact that that can still happen is just and an, an, um and the truth that this is why we have serena ventures serena speaking of other great athletes tom brady unretiring what's your take on that um i think everyone is happy about it or most people were <laughs> i know i was so it was definitely mixed feelings about him retiring and then kind of felt pretty good about the unretirement. i was like oh that's exciting so well like top brady you've accomplished seemingly everything possible on the court and you've now started this second career and in investing and you've got other business interests how much longer are we going to see you playing tennis and are you thinking about the R word more often? Right? I mean, I think every tennis player thinks about the R word as soon as they hit five years. <laughs> um, because tennis is so intense. It's literally 11 months out of the year. Um, but I don't know. I, you know, I, I don't know. I'm not, I'm living for the day. I always tell people I'm not planning for tomorrow, only in business. And when it comes to tennis, I'm planning just for today. So what is your advice then for the next generation of women and women of color, whether they are founders or investors or tennis players, about facing this adversity that obviously still exists in the world and how to overcome? Yeah. Yeah, you have to just uh, understand that adversity is always going to be there and there's always going to be people that aren't very nice. And um, for me, I think it's because of the way I grew up. Um, I liked when I had adversity. It made me better. Um, and I I thrived on that. I thrived on hearing people say I would never be good or I would never win another Grand Slam when I would never do this. And it made me excited to go out and train. And, but that's, you know, that was my whole life was trying to um, prove people that I was better than that. And that's what I'm doing um, now in a different way. Like I love proving that athletes can turn and have an amazing career, whether they're playing tennis or whether, you know, I'm doing investing. And so it's important to me to, and that kind of motivates me. And so I, I, I look forward to doing that with Serena Ventures. Serena Williams speaking with Bloomberg's Emily Chang. And when I think about that interview, I think about something, and I I didn't realize it about a New York Times article that came out mm-hmm. about this. Mm-hmm. What I didn't realize was that they, she took a picture of the article and they put it as Serena Williams, but it was her sister, Venus Williams. Yeah, and I'm glad that Emily talked about that with Serena um, and and the fact that they could address that. And Serena's answer was so thoughtful, too, just pointing out to everyone that it can happen even to me. And she wants people to know that they're not alone when that happens. I mean, I, I can... I can relate to this. I've been in the Bloomberg pantry and people have mistaken me for the other Asian anchor constantly. So it, it's something that comes up quite often when you're a woman, I feel like, um, especially a, a, a minority woman. But how you deal with it, how you move forward. I think the way that Serena explained it, full of grace. Well put, Scarlett. Um, I, I thought the same thing when uh, when she brought up that uh, the, the picture. I said, oh my goodness. Uh, I remember there was a, uh, 
they had a number of candidates for the uh, race for mayor of Boston uh, last year, and there were two Hispanic candidates, and they they just mm. put the wrong picture in uh, of the of the wrong person and gave the wrong credit in the photo. And I said, what and what must be going through this person's mind? And uh, you know, Serena, you know, could have taken uh, that cheap shot at the photographer at the at the publisher, and she took the high road. I was impressed with this interview. I really was. Yeah, and, and I want to add, too, I mean, obviously the New York Times, we're, we're talking about yeah. a big-time publication, and they're very good at what they do. And, and trust me, we all make mistakes, uh, but I I like the way Serena handled it because she was coming at it from the fact that, you know, I, I've won all these tennis championships, and still, you know, i, I got to climb the mountain. And uh, salute her for doing that and, and the classy way that she addressed that. My goal is to be the number one pick. That's something I've been dreaming of since a kid. It feels better to be number one than number five. I wear the number because of Mike. We have a chance to go for three in a row. Good numbers at a good time. When I first started wearing that number, I was just happy and proud. Bloomberg Business of Sports, the number of the week. Guess what it's time for? Get your digital mind ready. Here we go. Uh, Al Michaels and Kirk Herbstreit. They will call Amazon's Thursday Night Football. Uh, Al Michaels, he's 77, just called his 11th Super Bowl in February while working for NBC. And also, you know him from the famous 1980 Team USA hockey upset of the Soviet Union Miracle on Ice. He just got his star, by the way, on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. Really? I did not know that. Yeah, he got it very good. What I want to know, and I'll start with you, Scarlett, is how much did Amazon pay for the rights for Thursday night football this year? Okay. I'm going to guess five hundred million. Benji? A billion. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, Lynchy, you hit it right on the nose. What? You, you, what? you, you get the $100, and then you come up on stage. They're paying a billion dollars, around a billion dollars for the rights exclusively long, this year. How long is the um, contract for? Well, I, I know it's for this year now. I haven't seen uh, So they only the they bid one year at a time? No, it's it's for longer than that. I think it's I think it's for ten to twelve years. Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. so then we've just divided it up. Okay. Yeah. And, but uh, but according to this now, this is according to the Washington Post. I'm going to read it exactly. Amazon will begin broadcasting Thursday night football exclusively this year, paying around a billion dollars for the rights to the first NFL TV package that will be available exclusively via streaming. Except in the two local markets. By the way, according to the New York Post, Michaels and Herb Street salaries will eclipse ten million dollars. Oh dear, Scarlett, you're in the rough. <laughs> this, is, <laughs> this is okay. The okay. <laughs> this is the Bloomberg Business of Sports Show. We're here each and every week at the same time, plus online. Wherever you get your podcast, you can catch those Mondays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays. I'm Michael Barr on Twitter at Big Bar Sports. I'm a very sad Scarlet Foo at Scarlet Foo on Twitter. Always next week, Scarlet, and that's brilliant with a B. B. <laughs> I'm Mike Lynch. Follow me at Lynchy WCVB. <laughs> that was pretty good, Lynchy. I got to give you that. Thanks for listening. Uh, Tune it in again next week for the latest on the stories moving big old money in the world of sports. You're listening to Bloomberg Business of Sports, Bloomberg Radio around the world. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.